Oh yeah, stand up and shout. Welcome to Band Radio Show, coming to you each Monday and Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Black books rock. We are more than just a niche. We are a movement, says Ella Curry of EDC Creations. Prepare for the most stimulating conversation on the planet. Sit back, relax, enjoy another mind-blowing literary experience. Give the gift of knowledge. Put your hands together for your host, Ella D. Curry. to band radio show this is our black books weekend special for three whole days we are bringing you bookstore owners business owners influencers creators authors poets reviewers book clubs we are bringing the entire liter- literary community together and these participants dedicate their time and resources to presenting and shining the spotlight on the best books in the industry. Despite all of this outstanding love for talented authors and creators, many times they do not receive the attention and support they deserve. So Black Books Weekend aims to address this gap in recognition and appreciation. This event serves as a platform for introducing all these amazing authors and creators and publishers to readers, ensuring that deserving works, books, community help gets the spotlight that it needs to reach a wider audience. So tonight on our second day of Black Books Weekend, we have the owners of Prosperity Publications. We have Julie Williamson Sapp coming on to uh, to discuss Ship Learning Press. Then we have author and poet Sandra uh, Proto, and we have Pat- Patricia A. Bridewell, Teresa Stovall. Sheila E. Bell and Terry Martinez in pre-recorded She Dared to Dream conversations. So we're going to jump right into the show with Prosperity Publications uh, Chief Operating Officer and Vice President. So we're going to welcome Ms. Tashia Moffitt to the show and Dr. Lauren Alves, and they will be discussing the rebranding of Prosperity Publications, and they're also accepting submissions to the publishing house. Welcome to Shia and Dr. Alves. Hi, welcome. Thank you for inviting us. Good evening. How are you doing there, Mr. Carey? I am doing great, doing great. 
So this is amazing. Uh, for over maybe four or five months, I've been working with Prosperity Publication to rebrand the whole company. So allow me to introduce the two speakers tonight. So Tashia Moffitt is the Chief Operating Officer. I've been working with her to go through just rebranding every part of the company. So Tashia, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you, Ella. So Tashia, I understand that you're an attorney and has worked as a prosecutor and been in the legal field most of your life. How did you transition into working for the publishing company? Um, I have always been a writer, and any good lawyer is also a good writer. And I've always um, just had a creative mind, so I actually published my first book through Urban Books in 2005. And so I decided that um, what I saw in the publishing industry was oftentimes books that were more apropos for black history, black upliftment, and black culture. They were not getting, um, they weren't getting the attention, you know, and there's nothing wrong with urban books because I published through an urban book company. However, we are much more than laughter, you know, jokes and comedy and baby daddy drama and that type of thing. So when I started um, looking around the industry, I, I noticed that things that were serious, um, topics that really needed to be addressed in the African-American community, they were not. So that was one of the reasons why, you know, we wanted to start a publishing company. And our array of authors, you know, basically personified the image of educating, entertaining, and enlightening black culture. Okay. So, Dr. Alves, tell us a little bit about yes, the history of Prosperity with you being the vice president. <laughs> well, Prosperity Publications uh, started out as a uh, as an offshoot to an organization that uh, program that we had before uh, the bilateral publishing, what it was called. But because uh, we published a book entitled uh, "The Color of Strength: Embracing the Passion of a Culture." And we were going through some changes that we needed to rebrand a couple of years ago. And so we uh, decided to go ahead and uh, initiate the Prosperity Publications, <clears throat> at which time we were in the process of looking at uh, developing and establishing a, a book in the name of um, The Fires of Greenwood, uh, 1920, uh, 1921 Riots of the uh, Tulsa. And uh, our author at the time was... Uh, Mr. Fred Williams, and so we collaborate with him and myself and uh, our CPA, um, uh, Mr. Earl, uh, sorry, Earl Blanche, that uh, we decided that we needed to uh, re rebrand and reestablish the the, the uh, organization. So Prosperity Publications became in, uh, in existence. Uh, we have been uh, literally riding on the coattails of the experience of uh, Ms. Tashia Moffat because of the fact of her experience with her Divine Literary uh, publishing uh, accolades that she had with many of the uh, Divine Nine authors. And so we felt that this was an opportunity for us to move forward in establishing an organization, a uh, book publishing company that would be a, um, <clears throat> viable to the African-American community, the stories that many of us have to tell 
because of the need that we uh, have to get the, our stories out there. <clears throat> uh, a lot of us have been through the, uh, well, I'm a baby boomer, and uh, the fact that we need to know that there are stories that have not been told. And unfortunately, because of the the changes that have, that have taken place in America these days, uh, through politics, through SCOTUS, through so many issues that's going on, we feel that we have a, as a, a company, we have something to offer many authors, interested people who want to tell their story. So you have a new book that's going to come out in 2024 titled Passion of Our Culture. I think, is that the correct type, Passion of Our Culture? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's correct. So, so, uh, you, Tashia and Dr. Alves have been working to compile all of these stories. So, Dr. Alves, tell us what's at the heart of this and just some of the people who will be in this compilation. Well, we, you know, um, we did the anthology uh, uh, a little over 10 years ago. So, we thought we'd be uh, with the, uh, the advent of uh, the uh, COVID 19. Uh, uh, problem that was going on existing, we felt that there was a need to get stories of, of related uh, uh, stories related to uh, not just the the COVID itself, but stories about a passion of people participating and experiencing some of the problems associated with not just with racism, but also with the stories of, uh, of the fact that there are so many. Uh, uh, associated, um, I guess you would say, uh, calamities, uh, setbacks, and uh, distress, uh, oppression, success stories. Uh, for example, uh, we have a gentleman by the name of Jeff Foster. We have a gentleman that's he's uh, done some excellent uh, uh, work in in dealing with the uh, uh, molding or modeling of. Uh, particularly, he deals with a company and, and, and fabricating uh, syringes, syringe, uh, plastic syringe uh, products for uh, specialty items for uh, syringes. Uh, we have a gentleman by the name of um, uh, uh, Mr. Jay Wilson, who is a, a retired military gentleman who has done story on his technology, his Jay Wilson technology and his story of how he's he's overcome a lot of adversities um, uh, coming up uh, in Houston and establishing his own computer company. Uh, we also have gentlemen, a gentleman who um, uh, a lot of us, unfortunately, we've lost a, a good, great executive director and uh, stalwart of the 100 Black Men uh, and the late, the great uh, Thomas Dorch Jr. and his story about the 100 Black Men. And so... Uh, there's stories that uh, we feel that uh, is going to be a merit of of the passion that we've dealt with as African Americans. Uh, we have a young man that um, <laughs> I should say young man, but mature young man that I grew up with through school, elementary school, uh, into college. Fraternity brother that has written a story, a young, lovely story about his uh, his um, success going through the the annals of the hospital administration and uh, Mr. George Miller, who has done a, an excellent job in terms of uh, his his career. In fact, he was one of the um, 
uh, stalwarts in dealing with the issue of or the uh, situation of the young man that was uh, taken, uh, unfortunately taken to uh, uh, the um, situation of being um, in the small town of Jasper, Texas years ago and being um, drugged in the, by a truck by, by some gentlemen that did not feel that this young man deserved to, to be on this earth, so they decided to do something that was very uh, unfortunate to this young man. So uh, we've got but several I authors. I just to interject as well, Ella. We do have some names that people may know of. Um, NBA legend um, George Hervin also has an offering in the book, as well as Congressman James Clyburn, um, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, the late Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, um, Neville Shedd, who actually um, integrated the game of basketball with the game of Texas Miners versus University of Kentucky. So I'm very excited about um, the fact that we do have um, celebrities as well as regular people, anyone that's come through something, some adver- adversity, that they can share their offerings. Um, you know, there's their, their stories. have a couple of NFL players. Um, so I'm just very excited about, you know, the different stories that we are able to personify through prosperity publications. I love it. I I can't wait to hold the actual book in my hand because I know one this is going to be phenomenal and it's going to be a part of Ella. history. Hello? And we forgot to mention that the forward, uh, we're very excited that um, the forward for the passion of our culture is um, going to be um, offered by um, James Pickens, Jr., who is the star of Grey's Anatomy. So we have a lot of star power. We have a lot of short stories. Um, We have a lot of um, legacies of courage. And so we're just very excited to bring all these people together, from your Congressman Clyburn to your people, everyday people, to your judges, your lawyers, your doctors, and your barbers. I mean, you know, it just takes a myriad of black people to showcase our culture. And that's really what we want to personify in everything we do. So now uh, that Ella, okay, uh huh. Ella, I just wanted Dr. to say Evans. that uh, the fact is, yes, ma'am. That um, as I said earlier, the the stalwart of our organization has been. Uh, we've been on the coattails of, of, of Miss Tashia Moffat, and as she's interjected, she knows she's got her finger on the pulse in terms of putting it together, uh, as far as uh, bringing the book together of the passion of our culture and um, um, not to be with, 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 with uh, standing the, without standing the uh, need of, of knowing everything is going in the book. Uh, she and I are in, in constant communication, but she has definitely has done a wonderful job in, in bringing this together so that we can, in fact, with your support and, uh, and um, bringing this forward of rebranding us to make this happen. So during the course of the rebranding of Prosperity Publication, one of the things that has come up uh, quite a few times is the submissions process. So walk us through who you're looking for to publish and why. Take your honest touch here. Primarily, we are looking to publish anything that is positive, um, we are publishing children's books. We have an amazing author, Jennifer Reed, who's actually going to be doing a series of children's books. One of our um, 
I, I call him our star power, um, Arthur, um, celebrity chef Jerome Brown, has just produced two of the most amazing cookbooks, but they're not necessarily cookbooks. They're stories. Um, Carolina Soul, as well as Spice and Spectrum, he partnered with the I Can Dream Center in Chicago. And what they did, they have children that are on the autism spectrum, and these children not only tell their stories, they provide different recipes, and they work with chefrons. So we are looking for anything that can educate, that can entertain, that can enlighten the black experience. So that means fiction, that means nonfiction, that means historical fiction, um, cookbooks, literary, poetry, anything that celebrates the diaspora of blackness and positivity. And we are right now seeking submissions. So during the submissions process, there will also be coaching for new authors. They have a team that they can work with that would design the book covers, do the formatting, uh, have the book introduced to distribution. So coming on board with Prosperity Publications, you're, you have a one-stop shop. All the teams that you need, the partners, are all in one place. But uh, going back to something Dr. Alves mentioned, it, he mentioned the things that are going on in the world of day society. So Prosperity Publications will now in 2024 be launching a radio show, Where Do We Stand Radio? And so, Tashia, tell us about that. That's your baby. That's your brainchild. And Dr. Alves will be also co-hosting, partnering on this show. So, Tashia, tell us about where do we stand and why we need it. Um, we do have a third partner, Earl Blanc. She was our CFO. Um, and hopefully, Earl, at some point, will be able to come on and talk about financial literacy, because that's one of the things that is imperative that we as a people must understand and um, start early with financial literacy. Um, Where Do We Stand is not going to be your atypical radio show because we do have radio shows such as yours, Ella, that talks about books, that talks about authors, that talks about publishing them. We are going to be a raw, in-your-face, we're going to tell it like it is. Where do we stand? I mean, it can be anything from literature to T.I. choking out his son, to (laughs) Donald Trump getting indicted, to the Supreme Court, to any, you name it, we're going to talk about it. Because um, oftentimes I think communication is oftentimes very, um, sometimes we don't want to tell the truth and shame the devil. So therefore, we as a people oftentimes do not do what we need to do. I want to talk about the role of the black church. Are they doing what they need to do? Yes, no, maybe so. You, you know what I mean? So so with this radio show, we're going to have a little bit of everything. So this is not going to be, hey, we're going to talk about this book. No, we, we're publishing books, but we're going to be talking about where do we stand. I like that, and I think it's much needed. And one of the main things that I see from being in this industry for over 25 years is that everything is catered to the woman uh, in our industry, in my industry, to the black woman. I am looking so forward to where do we stand 
hearing the voices of two successful black men speaking to our younger generation. So, Dr. Alves, uh, tell us, tell the audience a little bit of your history and how you became a dentist and that sort of thing, because that's what we need more of our young people to see and hear. I think it's important that uh, young young people realize need to realize that history repeats itself. Um, the work that I did years many 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 years ago in terms of coming out of high school and going into college, I was a mechanic for General Motors, and I decided that because of the fact that I grew up with a disease, I was born with a disease called Rickett's vitamin D deficiency. I was missing my lower incisor teeth which made me wonder all my years, for 29 years of my life, I was without these lower incisors because if you don't have your, your baby or your primary teeth, you, you will not get your permanent teeth. So I always wondered why. So working for General Motors and deciding in 1970 my brothers came back from Vietnam, they told me to get my butt in school because there was a war out there. So I enrolled in college, uh, did what I had to do, worked hard. It was different, very difficult, did some midnight oil burning, a lot of oil and uh, decided that this is what I wanted to do for my career. And in the process of doing so, uh, it led me into Washington University, St. Louis. Uh, I'm a graduate of Central State University Marauders, Wolf Force, Ohio. I went into Washington University in St. Louis, uh, got a direct commission from there into the United States Army Dental Corps, and stayed there for 22 and a half years, at which time, during the time, I established myself as a pediatric dentist, becoming especially a board-certified pediatric dentist, first African-American board-certified pediatric dentist in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, in the process of uh, study, establishing my own by private practice and so forth, it led me into um, retiring there and beginning to teach uh, pediatric dentistry at, at East Carolina University School of Dental Medicine, after which time I retired in 2021 uh, uh, because it was time for me to go and to, to move on and, par- and, and pass, pass the torch on to some younger generation, generational people. But the idea of, of motivation, determination, uh, knowing that uh, you can do, as the expression has been saying, you can do what you want to do if you put your mind and your heart to it. And I think that's what's motivating me to continue to move on, meeting people, meeting positive thinking people like uh, Ms. Tasia Moffitt has been a, a uplift for me, even in, in my, uh, so to speak, waning years and my retirement years. I think it's important to know that it's not over until it's over and the, you can move to the next level of uh, success or careers. I think uh, we need more people that have come from everyday life styles and became very successful. We have too many influencers, and our young people are looking at these people on reality TV shows and thinking <laughs> that's the way to become somebody in life that's not the path there are so many other ways to find success and own your own destiny so to share with that being uh, okay go ahead dr alvarez Uh, well absolutely i didn't mean to cut you off absolutely it's it's like the idea that you know um your your parents they they teach you to learn the basics uh, coming up through high school that you can move on to the next level in college and then it's up to you to determine what your fate going to be, that road less traveled. And so uh, it's not hard. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. But you know what? You can do it if you put your mind to it. Yes, yes, yes. 
So, Tashia, I understand you went to Duke University. Tashia? Tashia? Okay. I'm here. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> okay. So, I understand you went to Duke University. Yes, I did. And I also went to an amazing little private college in Hartsville, South Carolina called Coker College. So, I would be remiss if I leave out my other alma mater as well. So, Tashia, do you think that I all of our young people need to attend college, or do you think some of them should attend trade school? How important is it to for some people to take a trade, to learn a trade? I am. So um, years ago I would have been one of the W.E.B. Du Boisian disciples of the talented tense that everyone should attend college versus the Booker T. Washington philosophy of pin yourself up by your bootstraps. I do not believe that every child has to attend a four-year college to be successful. I think that, unfortunately, no child left behind actually left more of our black children behind because during that time, George Bush actually, it was almost a full-fledged assault on technical education. Things such as cybersecurity, you know, welding, tool and die. Those are the types of things that um, that actually were the backbone of the black community. Cosmetology, you know, everybody's going to die, so you're going to need a funeral home. So to answer your question, I do not believe that everyone needs to go to a four-year university, but everyone needs to, I believe, further their education after high school in some way, shape, or form. Yes, exactly. Definitely. So now that prosperity has been rebranded and everything is brand new, uh, how can we find out more about your packages, your services, and submitting uh, proposals to be picked up by prosperity? Um, you can visit our website, Prosperity Publications, and that is an S. Um, dot com and everything should be on there um, our contact information is on there we are looking for submissions preferably um, within the children's book arena um, but we are um, taking submissions right now for everything we've got some amazing books um, coming out the PhD game Confessions of a Black Academic um, the Zeta NAS, ZNAS which is a part of um, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporating, we've been blessed to be able to publish their history book, um, Spicy Spectrum by Jefferson Brown, Colors, Jennifer Reed. Um, Fires of Greenwood is an amazing book, and it, it is about the 1921 Tulsa riot. So we are definitely taking submissions right now, and we um, have the submission process on our website. Um, we are actually looking to do more anthologies. And we are very excited about this anthology that's coming out in February, the passion of our culture. Awesome, awesome. Well, Dr. Uh, Lauren Alves and Tashia Moffitt, I want to thank you both for coming on and introducing our audience to Prosperity Publication. Uh, Prosperity Publication has been presented in Swan Yeh's magazine, New Year Edition, and I hope that people will uh, go to the website, explore, look around, check out the authors, 
support the books and and submit their own books to be published. So thank you Absolutely. both for joining us this Black Books Weekend. And thank one quick so thing, please don't forget to tune in to Where Do We Stand Radio. Exactly, and I will be I promoting will be Where Do We Stand. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Ella. This has been enjoyable, and thank you to your audience. And we hope to hear from you soon. Please check out our website. All right. Thank you. So, Band Radio Show family, there you have it. Uh, we started the, black, the second day of Black Books Weekend off with Prosperity Publication. We need more representation in the literary world, and it's amazing to have a publishing company that wants to show the best of us and not just, um, you know, fiction that's like more based on and more like reality TV. We need more things, as Tashia said, to educate us and enrich us. So next up, we're moving on to Julie Williamson Sapp. Julie Williamson Sapp, she's the owner of Sip, Learn, and Press. Welcome to the show, Julie. Hi, good evening. Welcome, everyone. I am so glad to be back chatting with you. We go way <laughs> back to a good book Oh, my book goodness. <laughs> way, way, way back. <laughs> it has been a journey from a good book. <laughs> so, Julie, you are one of the most hardest working women I know. I can think of at least three successful businesses that you've had since we've been friends, and you have – Four more now that we're going to talk about tonight that I don't even know about. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And so we had yes, the credit I... We have what the credit repair business, the spa business, and what am I missing? The bookstore. <laughs> the bookstore, the mortgage company, a lot of things. That was way back when in Baltimore, Maryland. Yes. Okay, so Julie, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the Silk, Silk Learn, and Press. Yes, um, well, I am, like you said, I have several online companies. Um, we also, uh, we had um, a brick and mortar as well up until about a month ago, but we closed that. But basically what Sip Learn Press is and how I came on to that is uh, during COVID um, when we were all quarantined, um, I was just looking for ways to help individuals. Because one thing that happened during COVID-19 was I didn't, um, I had a clothing line at the time and I did not lose out on any business at all. It's like our business was booming in 2020. So during that time, I also found that a lot of people were, um, you know, losing their jobs and getting laid off, and basically we had to stay indoors. So what I came up with was an idea for people to be able to stay home um, no matter what and make money while they, you know, stayed at home with their families. And that's how I came up with Zip Learn and Press. So, Julie, you have truly diversified SIP Learning Press. You have coaching and classes and workshops and the T-shirt in the box. So take us through all the different branches of SIP Learn Press. And also, while you're telling us about each branch, 
the one thing I'm trying to focus on during Black Books Weekend is to get our young people moving. So as you take okay. us through all the branches, tell us how we could take this and give it to our young people to get started in business, too. Wow. Well, absolutely, yes. The first thing is Simpler Press is a business that teaches individuals how to start a teacher business from home. And basically what we do is um, we get we get uh, we have a subscription where you um, subscribe to our company, and one of the things is we create what's called transfers, DTF transfers, sublimation transfers, and basically anything um, that you would need in order to start a t-shirt business from home, even down to the heat press. So we we give you all the supplies, the t-shirts. Um, all of the resources that you would need to start a business from home. Um, and then what we do is we we actually give you classes on how to, um, you know, start the business as well. We have a workbook that comes in what we have, what we call our flagship product, which is our T-shirt business in a box. And basically it's everything that you would need to, to kickstart your business from the ground up. So when you say T-shirt in a box, a lot of people, a lot of people may not fully understand what that is and how to start a business. So do you teach them how to start like a website? How to use Shopify, print on demand? Did you teach them all of that kind of stuff? Yes. Well, all of that is included in um, in our T-shirt business in a box. The box comes with um, a workbook that basically takes you from from step one all the way to even marketing your business on social media. So the book goes through everything that you will need in order to start up. That means, uh, like, it teaches you all about what transfers are and which transfer is best for you. It teaches you which um, heat press to purchase and what size. It also shows you um, also how to market your business on social media once you get your your business up and going. So, you know, everything in the box that you would need, it includes the T-shirts, it comes with um, sample transfers, it comes with directions, um, it comes with just just everything that you would need in order to start your business. It's very self-explanatory. Um, I've been really working on this T-shirt business in a box for like eight months before I launched it the beginning of this year. Um, and it has really taken off, and it helped a lot of people who, you know, otherwise would not have started a T-shirt business because they thought it was so hard to to begin. And 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 your product is in on Walmart.com, right? Oh yes, yes. We actually launched our product um, and got approved for that. I want to say it's been about four months now that we have been on the marketplace, walmart.com. So that was a, a milestone for us to be able to, to have that product, uh, you know, on Walmart, to be able to, to get it accessible all over the country. So that, that, that was one of our goals, and our next goal is to actually get the product, the box itself that contains the T-shirts, the transfers, the workbooks, and everything you need into the actual physical stores. And I like this. Because a lot of young men are really into graphic design, and they draw, and they create their own images, and most of the time it's just for social media. But now 
they can take those images, those illustrations, those drawings, and turn them into T-shirts and start their own signature clothing line. So now that takes me into your AI courses, which I plan <laughs> on becoming a part of because that right, right there is jumping. <laughs> it, it just took off yes. flying. So tell us about your AI courses. Right, right. So um, to piggyback on what you said about the artists, and we don't want to – AI, you know, people think AI is taken away from a lot of artists. And in some way it is, and I I normally tell um, some of the artists, because we do work with a lot of local artists and a lot of artists online, we take their artwork, and with their permission, we actually use them on our website to sell transfers to individuals that like their artwork. So we try to help artists and, and work with them and collaborate with them to be able to get their artwork out there, and and we do market them as well. Um, Another thing is, yes, with the AI tools that are out, that are existing right now, it's definitely changing the game. It's allowing those who do not have the skills to, because one of the main questions people ask is, well, I don't know how to draw, and I don't know, you know, where to get images. Well, with the AI tools out here like ChatGPT and, and MidJourney and all these other um, tools that are existing right now, you don't need to learn to know how to draw. You know, all you need is a, a great imagination and to be able to utilize prompts to be able to, to get what you, what you want out of your head onto, into text and tell the AI tools what you want to see. So that is a game changer. It's definitely been a game changer for us. We've been using that technology in creating images and putting out new transfers for our customers, as well as teaching our our T-shirtpreneurs, what we call them, how to create their own design so they they don't have to seek out, um, you know, and pay all a lot of costs to have designs um, made for them. So definitely AI is a game changer. So now we're moving on to this third thing. Uh, did you write the credit repair, uh, not so much as credit repair, but how to get right. business lines of credit? Did you write that in a book or is that a course? Oh, that is a course that I, that I first wrote it as a course. And then I actually um, wrote it um, as a book. So that book is also, you know, available on Amazon. So it's it's our credit, um, how to establish business credit um, without using your own money. So basically that book is about, okay, so now you have your T-shirt business. Now what? Now how do you fund it? Do you continue to work a nine-to-five? Do you use your own money? Basically, it goes step-by-step how to be able to set up your business credit, how to um, apply for um, vendor credit, how to, you know, get excelled into being able to get thousands and thousands of dollars of business credit without using your social or without using your personal credit. So that's another thing that we teach because that's the right way to start a business. You know, we've been starting businesses from beginning of time using our own money, our our own money that we work from jobs and mm-hmm. so forth and so forth. Yes, but you there are ways to, to establish business credit. It's there for companies to be able to get your LLC, get your tax ID number, get that bank account, and to establish your business credit. Right now we have gotten over a quarter million dollars in business credit just from, you know, doing the steps that I have in this book. 
Wow. And so tell us the name of the book and and where and what is listed under on Amazon so we all can take off running. Right while this show is doing, we could be down low. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the book on is on Amazon. Um I actually have it's on my author's page. I can't. I don't. I have so many books that I've written on Amazon. I really don't even know the exact name of the book. But if you go to my author's page, I believe it's Amazon.com/authors/JulieWilliamson. You'll be able to find all of the books that I have published. I've published. I mean, probably about fourteen books right now on Amazon. Okay, so I, during the course of Black Books Weekend, the rest of this month, I'll be, I'll find them and I'll put them on on social <laughs> media pages, and so, right. um, yeah, because we need this. There are people out here, and that's the that's the purpose of Black Books Weekend. There are talented yeah. individuals out here, but they just don't know how to get started. And I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, I have had planners and journals planned and ready to be published for over five years. (laughs) And I thought it was so hard to get my products on Amazon, and I kept saying I'm going to hire somebody to put this up for me, to do the job for me. And Julie and I had a conversation, catching up for about an hour, and I got – Julie was a big – Influence, and I got so inspired by Julie, I went to just see the process, to see if I could do it. I was blown away, Julie, that I have wasted (laughs) five years of my life and could have been selling these products because I got my first journal up in an hour. It wasn't even an hour. Yes, yes. (laughs) It's really, really very simple, yeah. Yep. And so that's why I want to encourage people to follow you on social media, especially. I checked out your TikTok. I want people to follow you on TikTok <laughs> because you teaching. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, TikTok is one of our greatest uh, uh, social media platforms. Um, we we are getting it on TikTok. We that is probably ninety percent of our customers come from there, and we funnel our customers into our Facebook group and so forth, and into our websites as needed as what whatever it is they're looking for. I mean, and we love TikTok like that right there. If you're not on TikTok, and if you're not you know using TikTok and posting three to five times daily, relentlessly on TikTok for your business. Um, then, yes, you're doing yourself a disservice. So definitely our TikTok is Sip, Learn, Press. Um, if anyone is interested in any of our products or services, that would be how to contact us as well as our Facebook group. Okay, so, Julie, give us your website and any other mm-hmm. ways that we could connect with you because I'm really pressing during the month of December, as we're starting into the new year, I want our young people to start businesses. I see them out here on social media running up a million views, hip-hopping and skipping across the screen. (laughs) I need y'all to turn it into some money. Yeah, yes. Well, you know, definitely turn it into some money because, you know, the TikTok platforms, they don't pay a lot, and you need millions and millions of, of views to get a check. 
So definitely um, we have our T-shirt business in a box. And a lot of, over the summer we actually were invited by one of our local schools here to send them um, a bunch of our, our T-shirt business in a boxes and their students learn how to start a T-shirt business. So we do um, educational training. We'll go into we'll go into any city. We were we were just in Baltimore because I mean I used to live in Baltimore, but now I live in Jacksonville, Florida. So we we move all around different cities and we teach classes. So if anyone is interested in a class, you can hit us up. Um, it's SipLearnPress.com. Um, our email is siplearnpress at gmail.com. Our TikTok is at siplearnpress. Our Instagram is at siplearnpress. You can also find us on Facebook at siplearnpress. And um, just connect with us. We love to teach. We love to help the kids. Um, this is something easy and wonderful to give as a gift during the holidays. I say instead of giving your kids some Jordans, give them the gift of a business, give them a T-shirt business in a box, um, and they will thank you for it. And I I am looking so forward to talking about this the rest of Black Books Weekend and <laughs> on all of my social media platforms. That's that's my platform right now to get these this all of this talent out of these kids and get it into the marketplace. So Julie Williamson Sapp, I wanna thank you so much for joining us tonight and giving us the gift of entrepreneurship. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ella, for having me. And when I when I heard the the radio show, I was like, "Dang, this bring back memories." <laughs> oh We've yes, I this. mean we we had we, twenty years, Ella. Yes, we have <laughs> brainstormed, and we were just gonna take over the world. With so many ventures, I remember the first event we was on together I, at a yeah. college in a college in Baltimore. An event, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so we've been out oh, here yeah. working, working out here for a long time. <laughs> but Julie, I'm so yeah. proud of you and happy of you. Happy for you. A first on the, the the new new marriage, and then I'm happy about the business <laughs> and that you're out here as a community leader helping change lives. We need this. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Again, if anyone's interested in any of our products, any of our services, you can email press at gmail.com. All right. Well, thank you, Julie. We are going to move into our next interview. But I will, when I get off this show, I want to go find the book and, and get the building, some business credit with that book. <laughs> <laughs> it's the ultimate guide to building business credit. Oh, my gosh. It just came to me. The ultimate guide to building business credit by Julie Williamson on Amazon. <laughs> Don't worry, it will be on social media across all my platforms by noon tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Ella. It's always a pleasure. Okay, then. Good night, good night. So next night. up, family, on Black Books Weekend, we have an author and a poet. Her name is Sandra Proto. Sandra Proto, author, poet. She is going to be discussing perfect. The Perfect Woman, New and Selected Poems. So join me in welcoming Sandra. Hello, Sandra. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you again, Ella, for inviting me um, on the show. I'm excited. I was, 
I was so happy to share some of your work in Swanye Magazine. We had yeah. a women's poets special called She Speaks Truth, and I enjoyed your poetry and sharing it in Swanye Magazine. So I had to bring you on air because I wanted to learn, you know, more about you. So audience, author and poet Sandra Proto uh, has a, a collection of poems. She's created CDs, all of that. So, Sandra, give us a little background on some of the work you've done and you know, your accomplishments in uh, poetry and, and writing books, too. Okay. So uh, I started writing poetry when I was 12 years old. And um, I, I love poetry. <laughs> I don't um, start out that way. And it was just a way for me, because I was very shy, and it was just a way for me to express myself. So I used to keep my uh, my poetry book or my, my little composition book underneath my bed and, you know, just write. It was like a journal, like journaling for me. And then... Um, I held, I started writing, I just kept writing, kept writing, and my first book um, I wrote, um, it was called uh, Wrapped Up in Life with Omniscient Eyes, and I published that in 2011. So that was like my first time um, publishing, like self-publishing on my own. Um, I was like, let me, let me start to do this because I'm like they just sitting in my drawer and collecting dust and I just felt like you know what let me start doing like um, self-publishing was cheaper now than back in the days um, when you know it was a lot more money so I was like okay let me let me let me try this and I designed the covers and I had my husband edit it for me, my first poetry, you know, book just to make sure it was all right. And I, um, that was my first one. And then I just started my, my second one was actually not my own. It was my, um, my aunt's collection. So I helped my, my aunt out to, um, publish her first book, um, and she's she's like in her sixties, seventies now. She's I believe she's in the seventies now, sixties, seventies now. And um I was proud of that. I was proud of that that I helped her edit that because it was something that she actually inspired me to write. So um I was happy to to do that for her and her collection from um uh, move over world marriage about the holler. Oh, I like that title. Yeah. So Sandra yeah. is a literary performance uh teaching artist. So and you had poems and different things displayed in museums. So tell us about that part. Oh, so I'm originally from Rockaway, New York and I was in, really involved with um the Rockaway Artists Alliance. And they um, they wanted to 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 have more of the writing artists, quote unquote, involved. So I, you know, whatever they had, like um, 
palindrome or, you know, everything that they had, I just, like, you know, I wrote poems, and I was like, okay, maybe I could, like, um, submit this and, and have it, you know, displayed. And I was lucky enough to have it displayed. Um, I also had, like, the Louis Latimer house. I was um, lucky enough to uh, have a reading there. And it was like an immersive reading and and exploratory reading, and we just went through the Louis Lattimore's, you know, the famous um, inventor, and we wrote poems. And they was like, "Hey, you you wrote this, you know, these poems. We would like to have it displayed, um, for you know, because you're talking about Louis Latimer. So it was like." It was like a exercise, but then it was like, hey, we really like that because we get to, you know, speak it, and and they was interested in hanging it up because Louis Latimer was also a poet, also. So it was like a, a nice uh, connection with that. Okay. So I understand that you have performed your poetry with musical bands, for live performances, mm-hmm. and recorded CDs. So what was that like? I mean, that's like big, you know. <laughs> I know. Well, that was, well, it was like, again, it was like I was involved with the Rockway Artist Alliance, and they had like a like a house band, like you want to say, but they traveled. They they we performed at like different places. We performed um, there at the Rockway Artist Alliance. We also performed at the Brooklyn Brewery. Um, we also it was this, another holistic place. Well, they wanted to get like some CDs together, and they invited me actually to perform live with them and to record with them because they they knew I was a poet. So I, I just sung my poetry with them um, on a couple of their tracks. So it was it was it was really it was really nice and interesting and it was it was like I felt like a rock star, you know. <laughs> um, it was like I was like oh wow this is this is kind of cool. So it was like you know I was like like I, I was so honored for that. It was like really um, nice. It was called Hudson Hope. It was T Seven and Hudson Hope um, band. So they um, they played like you know a mixture of reggae rock. Um, and it was like they had original songs. So, um, God rest his soul, John. Um, he had uh, he was like the lead guitarist singer. He had wrote a couple of songs, and he wanted he wanted the poetry. So it was like you know we was back and forth. It was it was like a duet type of thing. It was really nice. Oh, I love that. I love it. So I can't wait to hear some of your poetry. And uh, once again, it will be coming from Perfect Woman, New and Selected Poems. So I'm going to mute myself so you can perform two pieces and get a good, clear recording. I'm excited. So you can take off and give us any little background you want to give us and just take off, and I'm sitting back listening. I'm going to actually read Generations, the ones that's in um, the magazine, because I was honored, and thank you so much for publishing it for me. So uh, Generations, I mean, I guess it, it will be like kind of self-explanatory, so I don't have to explain this um, this one. So it's called Generations. Three generations, mother, daughter, 
daughter, mother, grandmother, granddaughter. Each is at peace from our, from their splintered lives. I sit and think about them and what each has meant to me. The two daughters, my maternal mother was harsh, whose harsh scorpion stings paralyzed me when I was growing up, when I became a mother. My second mother, by the way, of sisterhood, was my best friend and protector, who cradled me with her invisible cancerian claws ever so lightly as we whispered and laughed in the darkness. And then there was my grandmother, who was feisty and an inch and a half taller that I always butted heads with. But she did shoot her Sagittarius arrow and pierce my stubborn Capricornius heart, kind words. They are all gone and left an emptiness in me, an emptiness that cannot be filled with neither a husband nor children. I know this feeling shall pass, but right now it is hard to jump the hurdles of loneliness. I feel myself splintering away, exposing my rough rawness. I am left a lone woman in my daughter's lives. I miss and need them to stand away life's warpness to make me pliable again. That was Generations. The next poem um, I'm going to read is called Testimony, a Collage Poem. And a collage poem is a poem that has pieces of other um, either literature, songs, um, that's wrapped up in the poem. So there's 27 references I have um, in this poem. It could be a a piece of literature. Um, It could be part of a title of a poem, of a famous poem. Um, It could be a song. It could be a song from a show, because I'm also, um, like, involved with theater. But there's 27 references. Testimony. A collage poem. A woman cracks open, revealing the lost baby poem. This emotion, this anguish, this reality is the heart of a woman's existence. She is gathered together in the name of Janie, Celie, Precious, and Cora. Unashamed, I knelt down in the Amen corner. Head tilted, begging God for mercy. The cloud of confusion dispersed, and by the light of my father's smile, I saw the unbearable lightness of being human. My struggles are not just for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is not enough, or even for a couple of white chicks sitting around talking. My struggles 
are for all the little women and their vagina monologues. You see, we are the daughters of the ducks who powder ourselves dry from the salty residue of degradation. We formed a joy look club with a tear and a smile of our complex lives. We are women, every woman. And let us holler and bear teeth to protect ourselves and our embryonic selves. Let us continue singing and swinging and getting merry like Christmas when we burst out our, our chrysalis. The chrysalis was a place where society thought would constrict us of from freedom, from strength, from love. But it instead harbored self-realization, empowerment, and empathy. We open our peacocked velvet wings and nestle on the breast wherever we go, wherever we've been. There's a certain peace that makes us shake loose our skin and pay homage to our hips because we know we are the phenomenal women of this bitter earth. And that was testimony, a collage poem. Now, I like that. I really do. That's the first time I ever heard one of those. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a piece of a little everything in there. And it's okay if you don't, you know, get all the references because um, it can be vast. It can be different authors and, and um, you know, pieces of, of other books or songs or titles of songs and also um, title characters. So it's like, um, it's a, you know, has everything in it. And I always wanted to do a poem like that. I always wanted to do a collage poem. And um, I finally like just sat and, and just did it. <laughs> I like it. I mean, because that's new to me. And I love Black Books Weekend because I get to learn so much stuff. And I'm sure people in the literary community will, too. Yeah, yeah. So it's some, yeah, it's like a nice exercise. So you could, like, you know, you could just get pieces of stuff, like, and you just find the meaning. And, it. like, I wanted a strong feminist poem. And um, I... You know, the poem is not necessarily all black women writers or, you know, or black men. You know, it's a mixture. And it's a mixture of either, you know, some um, some Asian, because the Joy Luck Club, you know, with Amy Tang, you know. So I'm just like, what's strong? What what speaks to me? And what will make this this, um, this poem really strong and 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 I just like took like different things because I like in my in my life I'm like what I read and everything else I was like oh that was like a good poem that was like a good line you know I could fit this in so oh well I appreciate it I loved it so Sandra how can the Black Authors Network fans and EDC Creations listeners how can they find all of your information in one place, the CD, the books, the poetry, any events you may be in. Can you tell us how they can reach out to you and follow you? 
Yes, they could come on um, either they could go on my website. Um, everything is on there um, at www.sandraproto.com. Um, everything is listed on there, even like, you know, you could click on to, you know, the icons for my Facebook page, my Instagram page. I, um, I, I was, I came in on the tail end on your your last interview and I'm like, you know, I've been fighting not to go on TikTok because I just don't know why, but what I heard the tail end, I'm like, hmm, I think I need to go on TikTok. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And Julie, and follow Julie, Julie, because she's teaching people how to do it and get the most out of it. And with you being a performing artist, wow, that piece you just uh, performed for us, it's no telling how many views that would be. Right, right. So I've been fighting it for whatever reason why I've been fighting it. But I'm like, oh, my goodness, maybe I should be on there. But I'm on Instagram. Um, Twitter, well, X, <laughs> Threads, <laughs> um, but mainly it's like Facebook, Instagram, and you just, like I said, you go on my website and everything um, is there in place. Okay. And I will be sharing it uh, throughout the rest of this month I'll, across my social media. I'll be putting up a graphic with a QR code that leads people to your website and products. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, and thank you so much for um, having me also in your magazine. I really appreciate that. And now that was really beautiful, really beautiful. And uh, I will be sharing. Well, I've already been posting that you were in the magazine, but during the rest of this month, I'm really pointing on a little heavy about all the people that were in the um, holiday issue of the magazine and all of the people that are on Black Books Weekend. So they definitely will know you're out there. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so And happy much. holidays. <laughs> you too. <laughs> okay. So next up, we're going to enter into my She Speaks Truth segment. I have some pre-recorded interviews and teaching classes and statements, and it's called She Speaks Truth. So first up with the She Speaks Truth, we have Teresa Stovall, and here we go. Greetings. Teresa Stovall here with a few quick scenes from my hot new memoir, Swirl Girl, Coming of Race in the USA. I wrote Swirl Girl to share rare truth about what it's like to live and in a world of either or. I wrote Swirl Girl to share how this hard-headed, mixed-race, black power flower child fought society and sometimes my closest loved ones to forge my identity on my own terms. I'm going to share a few quick scenes from Swirl Girl, Coming of Race in the USA, which is available now at TeresaStoball.com, Squirrel Girl at T-A-R-E-S-S-A-S-T-O-V-A-L-L.com. Scene one, C-1, 
Seattle, Washington, 1969. In ninth grade, I was being bussed against my will to integrate schools in Seattle's far away north end. The white students didn't want us there. I was happy to make a new friend, a black girl who lived out there in the north end and didn't ride the bus across town with the rest of us. She was brown-skinned and the kind of cute that would blossom into high-cheekboned beauty. Like me, she had a few teen pimples and a couple extra pounds. What are you? she asked me. Mixed. Like with what? She talked like the kids in the North End. Black and Jewish. But you can't be black and Jewish. Those two things just don't go together. Black people are Christian and go to church. Jewish people are Jewish and go to, go to, go to synagogue, I said with a sigh. Yeah, see what I mean? They don't fit, so you can't be both. I wondered if growing up black in such a white environment had damaged my new friend's brain. Then I thought about it. If none of the black people she'd seen were Jewish and none of the Jewish people she knew were black, maybe it was hard for her to imagine one person being both. But I was a living, breathing example that it was possible. I stood to face her. I can be black and Jewish because that's what I am, okay? You mean like Sammy Davis Jr.? Hell no. Sammy Davis Jr., well, he's just different, that's all. But we're both real. If you don't believe that, you can't be my friend. She stared at me for a long minute, then nodded one time. And we never discussed my identity again. Scene two. You know why white girls are better than black girls? One of the boys on the school bus asked loudly. My head snapped up from my book and the air tightened around me. A few girls argued, then other boys joined in. White girls are better because they're not as much trouble. And they do what you want with no back talk. Yeah, another boy piped up. They know how to let a man be a man. The circle of boys kept making their claims as the girls accused them of disrespecting their mothers, sisters, grandmas, aunties, and cousins. Just when it looked like this were about to fly, the bus supervisor walked up on them. Stop this foolishness right now. She demanded. The sparring students glared at each other across the bus aisle, their argument deflating under her stern gaze. Hmm. I knew that refrain like the chorus of a hit song. Some of the black boys in my neighborhood often went out of their way to inform us, black girls and mixed girls alike, why we weren't as good as white girls, listing the same reasons the boys on the bus had given. I wondered where they'd learned this, what made them think this way, why they were so quick to put down their own in favor of white girls. This was less than two years after Jim Crow laws had been struck down, and it hadn't been that long since black boys and men were lynched 
for even being suspected of looking at or speaking to a white woman. I wondered if any of the boys from the bus were trying to mack on the white girls in the school we were integrating. Maybe they were captivated by the idea of white female flesh as forbidden fruit. Or maybe they truly believed that white girls were superior. The whole thing just made my head pound. Scene three. My copper-toned father's attitude about my identity made me wonder if he regretted having mixed children. I couldn't tell if he hated his own blackness or thought I'd be better off pretending that it didn't exist. My folks were divorced, and though Dad lived nearby, he stayed on the outskirts of our lives. While Mom did double duty as a parent, he made it clear that he had no interest in playing a fatherly role. On holidays, Dad invited my brother Greg and me over for his delicious barbecue. On regular weekend visits when he wasn't on the grill, he listened to good jazz drank endless beer, drenched all his food in hot sauce, and got on my nerves. One Saturday, we sat in his house watching news reports of the race riots blazing across America's inner cities with cries of black power coming from the screen. He stared impassively, nursing a beer. Desperate to forge a connection with him, I gathered my nerve and reached out to share something close to my heart. I read this book by Malcolm X. He set his beer down hard on the wooden coffee table. I don't need to read about that shit. I've lived it. He studied my face as though he'd never seen it before. What's your problem? Why are you trying so hard to be black? I'm not trying to be anything, I retorted. Why are you trying to deny your blackness? We locked eyes. Stop telling people you're black. You can be, he waved his arm around, anything you want. The way you look, you can tell people anything. I don't need to tell people I'm anything when I'm already something, I said. He looked sad. You're too young to understand what you're throwing away. That night, I asked God why the man who gave me my blackness was telling me to throw it away deny it, because he believed that living a lie was a better option. When he claimed I could be anything, I heard him suggesting he'd be cool with me changing my name, denying my ancestors, lying about every aspect of my being, and pretending he didn't even exist. He acted like blackness was only for those whose bodies didn't give them other options that I should avoid and escape for as long as I could pull it off. At the dawn of my teen years, as our nation rocked and rolled with shifting race relations, what I wanted most was for my father to hold up his end of the deal as the parent of mixed kids by standing tall and being proud of his identity like mom was of hers. It was hard to respect him when he wouldn't even give me that. Scene four. In that summer of 1969, black identity was still evolving 
in response to the social movements of the time. Notions like soul and state of mind were often cited as qualifiers. The prevailing concept that one drop of black blood made you black reflected the slave master's rules for protecting their property and the realities of Jim Crow segregation that came later. But it also meant that even a mythical single drop carried the power of history, struggle, resistance, and triumph that could not be denied. And in the United States, there was no middle ground, imaginary or otherwise, between black and white. My mother was fond of saying that my brother Greg and I had the best of both worlds. I reasoned that was something she imagined about being mixed but it didn't make sense to me. Maybe she envisioned a magical buffet of race and culture that allowed us to pick and choose certain features according to our preferences. Like I could go to the black section and take the rhythm but leave the blues, keep my plate with triumph but wave away the tribulations, then maybe I could move to the white section where everything was locked up and guarded like precious jewelry so I could look but not touch. What could I ask for there? A scoop of privilege? A serving of entitlement? A side dish of advantage? As if prejudice, discrimination, and inequality weren't weighing down sections of that imaginary buffet, and I had full access to the power in the white section. My mother was one of the smartest, most insightful people I knew. And I respected her stubborn commitment to her best-of-both-world theory, but it had no place in the reality that I was learning to navigate. Not even she or my father, the people who created me, seemed able to accept me as I was. They were trying to cram me into their fantasies of what a perfect mixed person should be. That made me angry. It made me sad. Most of all, it made me determined to find my truth and live it, regardless of what they thought. Squirrel Girl, Coming of Race in the USA. I'm Teresa Stovall. I thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoy what you heard. If you'd like to check out Squirrel Girl, Coming of Race in the USA for yourself, it is available now at TeresaSoval.com, www.T-A-R-E-S-S-A-S-T-O-V-A-L-L.com. Squirrel Girl, Coming of Race in the USA by me, Teresa Soval at TeresaSoval.com. Thank you so much. Take good care, and I'll talk to you soon. I am Terry Martinez. I am an author, a blogger, I run a small nonprofit organization, and I'm a certified life coach. The title of my presentation is Connecting the Dots. From this presentation, I hope that you will learn what your dots are and the importance of connecting them in order to love living your life. It is my hope that by sharing some of my experiences with you and explaining how 
learning to connect the dots changed my life, you will be able to benefit in some way. First, I want you to take a few seconds, close your eyes, and visualize what you see when you hear me say, connecting the dots. I wish that I could see you all and maybe actually get to hear some of your answers. But I'm going to share my first thoughts when I heard this for the very first time many years ago. I thought about those number drawings from when I was a little girl. You know, you follow the numbers in sequence to draw the picture. Anyone else remember those? Now let me explain my connecting the dots story. I spent over 30 years working at an insurance company, and many of those years I spent working in information technology. I worked on a very specialized team. We did data migration. I'm sure many of you are wondering what in the world is a data migration, right? Well, in short, it's when you take data from one system and migrate it over to another. Sounds pretty easy, right? Well, it's really not, and here's why. Healthcare data is fairly complex. You have to understand all of the data points and how they work together, how they interact with each other, which ones are dependent on the others, which ones can stand alone. When I first joined this team back in the early 90s, as I was being trained and the process was being explained to me, I was told that the key to our team's success was learning how to connect the dots. That's learning the data, how it connects and interacts with each other in order to understand how to migrate it. You have to learn how the data interacts in the old system that you are moving the data from and also into the new system that you are moving the data to. Now, at first, I didn't really understand why we needed to learn how things worked in the old system, especially since we weren't going to be using it anymore. But in time, it all became much clearer to me. When I joined the team, I started off working with member data. The members for an insurance company are the patients for a hospital or doctor's office. Everyone on the team felt that their data was the most important piece of the puzzle. We had team members working on employer group data, member data, referral data, claims and provider data, just to name a few of the major data points. Well, I'm here to tell you that I know or I should say I knew that my piece, members, was the most important piece. I mean, think about it. If the insurance company didn't have any members, how could they survive, right? Well, a few years later, when I began to work with provider data, I realized that maybe they were the most important piece. Since if there were no providers, the members couldn't access care. So what comes first? the provider or the member. Anyway, I think you're starting to see my point. Sometimes the way the dots connect is all about perspective. It was during my time working with provider data that I began to understand the importance of understanding the relationship from where the data came from as well. Provider relationships are constantly changing. Practices merge or split up 
And it's important to maintain the integrity of those relationships because of claims and payment history. Understanding the history of the data is just as important as knowing where it's headed. Remember this point, ladies, because it's going to be important a little later. I worked on this team for over 20 years and participated in well over 35 large data migration projects. Never did I once put the pieces together that learning how to connect the dots goes way beyond those data migrations. Now just stay with me for a minute. The concept of connecting the dots applies to each and every one of us. We're all made up of a bunch of dots that uniquely connect to make us who we are. Now I'm not talking about science and our DNA or anything like that. I'm talking about what's inside of you, your mind, what makes you who you are, what are your values, your dreams, aspirations, what makes you tick. It's all about learning our dots and figuring out the best way to connect them for you. I emphasize the for you because each person's dots are different. And even if you did share the exact same dots with the person sitting next to you, how those dots connect would still be very different. As women, we are generally very good at taking care of everyone else but ourselves. Oftentimes, it isn't until later in life when we become empty nesters or go through a divorce or some other major life change that we begin to realize that we have absolutely no idea who we are or what makes us happy. We have lived for our husbands, our wives, and children for so long that we lose sight of who we actually are, what makes us tick. Now, I'm not pointing any fingers because the only reason I'm familiar with any of this is because I've lived it more than once. This is the very reason I'm sharing this with you today because I've been there, and I want to help as many women as I possibly can understand why they're feeling the way they do and help them to understand that there absolutely is a way out. But that way out is uniquely your way out. Again, I emphasize it's uniquely you because there are so many self-help books and courses that you can read. What works for one doesn't work for all because we all have different dots that connect in a unique way for us. What are the dots, you ask? I can only give you examples because, again, each person's dots are unique to them. It's really all about your values. What is important to you? What are your goals and aspirations? What is your family structure? I think you get the point. Let me share a few of my dots with you. One of my dots is faith and spirituality. My personal relationship with God is very important to me. If I'm being completely honest with you, this one has been a real challenge for me over the years. I've moved this dot around a lot, and it wasn't until very recently that I realized the importance of this one for me. This dot keeps me grounded and keeps all the others in line. A slight shift in this dot, and it can throw off all my other dots completely. My next one is personal relationships. 
are capable of having a large circle. I choose quality relationships over quantity. That's important to me. For someone else, it might be very important to have a large circle around them. One isn't necessarily universally better than the other. It's just whatever works best for you. The next one is physical health and mental health. These dots are also key for me. I have some health challenges. I have an autoimmune disease that presents some real challenges for me at times. I'm also a diabetic, non-insulin dependent, but it's still a disease that must be managed very carefully. I'm sharing this all with you to make a point. My health dot is critical for me. When my health gets off balance, it begins to affect all of my other dots. I've learned to listen to my body and make the necessary adjustments to try to stay as healthy as possible. The next one is career. Now, this dot has undergone some very significant changes over the um, past few years for me. And that's another important thing to remember. Your dots can change over time. Some dots may become less important and die off, whereas others may grow in importance in your life. Just like data in those migrations I used to work on, our dots are fluid. As we grow and learn, the makeup of our dots change. Here is where it's important to understand how your dots connect. If you make a change to one dot, you need to understand what other dots might be impacted to be prepared. In case you're wondering when I figured out the larger meaning of learning how to connect the dots, well, I'll tell you, it was after divorce number two. After taking an early retirement from my successful career of over 30 years and realizing that my house was empty and so was my calendar, I had absolutely no idea what I was supposed to do. I didn't have any kids to shovel around or worry after. I had no meetings on my calendar. All I had was me and I had absolutely no idea who I was anymore. I realized it when during this time, my mom asked me, what do you like to do? I had absolutely no idea because I hadn't thought about what I wanted to do for so long, I lost track of my dots. I had no clue what they were or how they connected. Since realizing this, I have been on a personal mission to find and reconnect all of my dots. It is a constant work in progress. One way that I've decided to help others get centered or connected to their dots is by becoming a certified life coach. I see clients through my Connecting the Dots Life Coaching Office and also through the Life Esteem Holistic Wellness Center. I began to realize the bigger meaning of connecting the dots when I became involved in my work with the Wellness Center. At the core of holistic wellness are eight dimensions of wellness. I'll briefly go over the eight dimensions and explain each of them so you begin to see how they relate back to the dots. And these are not in any particular order. The first one is intellectual wellness. And intellectual wellness is when you recognize your unique talents to be creative and seek out ways to use them. The second one is physical wellness. And this is when you recognize what is necessary to keep your body in good 
good shape. You know, healthy diet, exercise, proper sleep, all of those things. And then there's the spiritual wellness dimension. And this is related to your values. These are the beliefs that help you find meaning and purpose in your life. Number four is emotional wellness. And this is your ability to cope with life and build satisfying relationships with others. Financial wellness, number five, is a feeling of satisfaction about your financial situation. The next one is occupational wellness. And this is a sense of satisfaction, excuse me, with your choice of work. Number seven is environmental wellness. And this is related to the surroundings you occupy. You know, where you live, where you work, the places that you frequent. And the eighth dimension is social wellness. And this is a sense of connectedness and belonging. Once I began to learn about the dimensions and all of the little things that are inside of each one of them, I realized that the key to success of happiness in life was learning what your dots are, the most important things for you, and how they interact and then making decisions about where you want them to be. This is what I refer to as learning to love living your life. Now, life coaching is not counseling or therapy. Unlike counseling or therapy, which involves looking back and working through one's past, life coaching is about looking to the future and navigating through the present to reach the goals that one has set. I am Terry Martinez. I am a certified life coach, and I offer private life coaching sessions to assist you with connecting your dots. These sessions can be in person, via phone, via video, and I also offer online workshops. You may contact me at Terry. T-E-R-R-I, Day, D-E, Martinez, M-A-R-T-I-N-E-Z, at gmail.com. Again, that's Terry Day Martinez at gmail.com for more information on learning how to connect your dots. Thank you. Hello. My name is Patricia A. Bridewell. And the title of my book is Rhythm Bay Love. My website is www.patriciabridewell.com. And I am going to read a chapter from my book. Perched against the studio wall that was encased with glass windows, Jada tapped one foot, watched Antoine from the back, and waited for what seemed like forever to get his attention. Five minutes. That's what he said 15 minutes ago, she mumbled under her breath. Why was it so hard to understand clients come first? When they buy a spot that's supposed to air at a certain time, it had to air. His problem? Antoine knew but didn't care if he could sit in there, play music, and make things hard for her. 
well, she'd wait. And whether he liked it or not, adding the spot was not an option. Antoine had been at the station for over a year. A surprise to many, his rapid acceleration from newbie to one of the most prominent radio disc jockeys in Los Angeles was mind-boggling. The word was, DJ Ant's popularity had put a spit shine on Simon, the program director's face. On the opposite side, his move to day shift sent DJ Rocky Lopez and Jada on a tailspin. Wake up, wake up, L.A. It's time to move to the groove. This is your favorite champ, DJ Ant, the Prince of Romance, bringing you the first two hours of oldies but goodies and some spicy romantic tunes for your pleasure. Antoine lifted both hands. More to come. Musical Joy at 101.3 KTLM on your dial. Here's one of my favorites. Running his hands through an acre of light brown dreadlocks, Antoine inhaled and leaned into the mic. In a sultry voice, he said, Keep your head to the sky by earth, wind, and fire. Jada's head tilted. She inhaled and exhale to remain calm. This was getting ridiculous. Watching him expediently multitask between the mixing board, paperwork, laptop, and sips of water, she shook her head. That man is so full of himself. Two months, that's how long she'd been dealing with his behavior. Antoine turned, gave her a dimpled smile, saluted her like a sailor, and held up one finger. She almost held up her middle one, but she caught herself. Keep your eyes off my man, Denise snapped as she swayed over to the door wearing a pair of four-inch multicolored Jimmy Choo shoes. A scarf that matched the shoes was a perfect choice to accent the aqua blue dress that hugged her size 16 pyramid. Hey, lady, I'd be happy too. He's not my type, and I'm about to report him to Simon. He won't let me in. Denise stuck a tongue inside her cheek. He's probably busy or trying to get your attention. Oh, stop. He's not that busy. And why would he want my attention? You never know, Denise said. Jada's eyes swept over Denise's clothes. Look at you. I like that outfit. And those shoes are dope. Denise and Jada had been close friends since meeting at Pepperdine University and sharing some required courses. Both grew up in urban communities and shared a lot of common interests. Jada lived in South Central Los Angeles and Denise in Compton. Jada respected her sharp friend and was thrilled when the station hired Denise for a sales position four years ago based on her referral. Well, I chatted with him briefly. He seemed personable. Denise turned her focus to Antoine. I've got to give him props, though. He's one fine brother. Jada faced she she faced Jada and leaned toward her ear. Some of the sisters around here got their eyes on him. Jada shrugged. All they want is the package in between his legs. Denise gasped. No, that didn't come out your mouth. Jada fluffed her reddish auburn kinky curly hair. What else would they want? He's way too arrogant, as sarcastic and rude, too. Though she would never tell him, 
Jada's curiosity about the hype that stoked her fans' devotion forced her to listen to his shows on the way to work. She cut her eyes at Antoine. Well, I, I, ooh, have mercy. What do we have here? Denise fanned herself with one hand while checking Antoine out. He'd removed his jean jacket and tossed it on a chair. Jada tried to dismiss her friend's comments, but like Denise, her eyes didn't stray from his well-toned, tattooed arms. Dang, those musical notes and clefts move seamlessly every time he flexed those arms. Jada loved colorful tattoos and had a red rose tattooed above both ankles. With her eyes stuck on Antoine, Denise said, um, I was getting ready to say, they can have DJ Ant. I love my buttercup, and he's all I need. Jada huffed out a sigh and waved her hand to get Antoine's attention. I like the tats, but my concern is why he won't open the door. She glanced at her watch. What are you trying to do? Add your spot to his log. Jada lifted her paper. He already knows. Wonder why he didn't check with you. That's what I'm saying. I've got to make sure the commercial airs on time. Jada checked her watch again. I called the red line when I got in. He said he'd confirm with you. Bang on the window after the song ends. He'll let you in. Denise shook her pen at Jada. Cocky, sarcastic, whatever you want to call him. I think he likes you. Denise tilted her head. And you, my sister, standing out here looking in that window all this time just to add a spot? Give me a break. Jada's mouth opened, but before she could speak, Denise's eyes widened as she jerked her head toward Antoine, who was facing them with one finger up. Jada looked at him and nodded. See, you caught him at a bad time. He'll let you in. I've got to run. I'm expecting the client. Her forehead wrinkled as she paused. We haven't been to lunch or dinner in a while. Let's get together. Jada flipped through the log. I agree. It's been a minute. Text me a time and we'll go to lunch on Saturday. We'll do. Oh, I almost forgot. Denise waved her hand. Irvin has plans for us on Saturday. Send me two Saturdays that you're free. We should hook up before the month ends. Why don't you send me yours? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm free every weekend. True. It's about time for that to change, though. Denise pivoted and headed to her office. From the moment Denise mentioned Antoine's possible interest in her, it weighed on Jada's mind. Denise loved to tease for laughs, and Jada suspected her comment about Antoine might have been just that, one of her tutti-frutti jokes. Or was was her friend trying to play matchmaker again? Hopefully not with Antoine. Antoine ambled to the window, lip-flapping words she couldn't understand, then returned to his seat again. With furrowed brows, she stuck her tongue out at him. I could wring his neck. He knows I didn't hear him. The females in this place must be desperate. Am I the only one without shutters over my eyes? She tapped lightly on the door with her pen. Finally, he rushed back to the door after a commercial break and opened the door. I apologize. I had to log my playlist before my shift ends, and I was behind. How's your morning going, Antoine asked, as though he'd done nothing wrong. Better. 
now that I can do my job. Can I see your log? She stepped back so he could sit in his seat. A violet aroma filled her nostrils, and she searched for incense but didn't see an incense burner or vase. Sure, little lady. Go ahead. He placed his headset around his neck and handed the radio log to Jada. Her first thought was to ignore the silly nickname he'd given her. She hated it, and her inner voice said, no way should she engage in this guy's rhetoric today. I think you know my name. It's Jada, and I don't like being teased about my height. I have no problem with being short. I wish. Between her five-foot-one height and a petite-size-five figure, the people always assumed she was much younger than 32. Jada had coped with being teased during her high school years, but she'd reached a point where she could tolerate it. Now a lot curvier, she often flaunted her bodacious legs in skirts and dresses. My bad, Jada, I didn't mean to insult you. It's a figure of speech, Antoine said in a flippant tone before raising his hand and signaling a pause. All right, L.A., it's 8.48 a.m., and you're listening to 101.3 KTLM on your dial. I'm DJ Ant, the Prince of Romance, here to add a little spice to your morning. Next up, one of my favorites by Stevie Wonder, Ass, from Songs in the Key of Life. Spice, calling me little lady, didn't add a bit of spice to my morning. Jada briefly watched Antoine out the corners of her eyes then diverted her attention before he noticed. She flipped through the log, made notes, then altered her stance. Where did he dig up information about his attention and attraction to me? Antoine removed his headset and swiveled his chair around to face Jada. He slumped in the chair and crossed one leg over the other. Their gazes met. Without a blink, his eyes oogled her, inch by inch, from her face to her cleavage, and down to her shapely legs where they stalled. He licked his lips. Can I ask you a question? Depends on what it is. Although her white blouse, hot pink pencil skirt, and gold hoops kicked butt, Antoine's attention didn't faze her. If he doesn't stop staring, why are you so bitter? A frown splayed Jada's face. Excuse me? What do you mean bitter? I'm just saying... He leaned back in his chair and paused. A bundle of dreadlocks tumbled around his peanut butter brown face and shadow beard. You seem angry, easily agitated, like you're mad at the world. Jada snapped her chin to her chest. Sir, you don't know me well enough to make that judgment. The nerve of him to make comments like that after his buffoonery, which was causing her heart to beat faster and raising her anxiety level. I don't have to. Your actions expose your feelings. His hazel eyes bored through hers and made her uncomfortable. That's your opinion. Bottom line, you don't know me. So let's end this conversation now, she said, remembering to remain positive. Have a good day. Jada forced a cheerful smile, placed an orange post-it note on the log, and laid it in his desk tray. Uh-huh, you can't stand hearing the truth. With a sly grin on his face, Antoine placed his headphones back on. Jada maintained a smile and strutted to the door, then threw up a palm and walked out. Who does he think he is? He has no idea what I've been through. His insensitive behavior will not interfere with me doing my job. 
I worked too hard to get this position. Just because I'm not stimulating his ego like the groupies who worship him, he's fuming. But that's the least of my worries right now. She rolled her shoulders, released Mr. Antoine's criticism from her mind, and walked to the break room for coffee. Thank you for listening. My name is Patricia A. Bridewell. My new book is called Rhythm Bay Love, and my website is www.patriciabridewell.com. Greetings. I am Sheila E. Bell. I'm excited to present a talk on becoming a visionary. To the women of the new sisterhood community, I especially want to say that I hope I say something to inspire, motivate, encourage, and uplift you. It is always my intent to be a beacon of light wherever I go, whether in person or via a podcast or on social media. My years of experience in simply living life, doing an array of things, and overcoming many adversities amid the good times has afforded me some wisdom. At least I like to think so. Maybe you can make that determination after listening to my podcast. Let me start off by sharing a little bit about me. I am an award-winning author, literary consultant, an editor, inspirational speaker, founder of two literary nonprofit organizations, and a boutique publishing company. I come to you with over 20-plus years of experience in the literary industry in corporate America. I am a mother, grandmother, and yes, great-grandmother. I am a proud, educated, amazing black woman. Now, these are all titles and accomplishments of which I am definitely proud for and grateful for. But I also come to you as a once broken little black girl, a girl who felt defeated and less than because of my physical handicap in spite of all I, I accomplished even in my youth. I come to you as someone who allowed mess, physical and verbal abuse, garbage and trash to take a place at the table of my life. As a black physically challenged woman growing up during the Civil Rights and Jim Crow era, I have experienced, I believe, more than my share of the curveballs and alley-oops life can present. I've had more than my share of taunting, bullying, and being told what I cannot accomplish. I've been called the N-word, pointed at, stared at, talked about, yet, like Maya, I rise. So you see, all is not lost because, yes, in spite of it all, today I proudly proclaim, despite my physical limitations and imperfections, despite my failures and mistakes, I come to you today as not just a strong black woman. I come to you as a strong woman, a woman of vision, a woman with vision, a true visionary. All of what I experienced in life. The good, the bad, the real, real ugly, it all came together to make me the woman I am. I finally see that now. I believe I can share the words that I have to say to some of you who may be experiencing some of the things I went through before I knew that I am somebody. 
And I must make that distinction because there are many of you, or I believe there may be many of you, who believe the opposite about yourself. Some of you believe you are nothing, a nobody, not important, non-essential, and that you have nothing to offer, that your dreams and visions and hopes and aspirations will never come to pass. I hope after listening to and hearing what I'm about to share that you will come to believe otherwise. And then there are others who may simply have it all together and you're not running into any kind of obstacles and life is perfect for you and you're living your dreams and your visions and all your hopes and aspirations are coming true. And if that's the case with you, then I hope that you just continue to listen in and hopefully share with others how you became a living visionary. But that's why I feel it is important for me to use my voice to uplift and encourage you today. I want to lend my words of wisdom to you so you will know just how important of a part you play in this world if you don't already know. Your vision matters. Your dreams matter. Your gifts and talents matter. Your desires matter. You matter. There are five steps I want to share that I hope will help you recognize your visionary qualities and capabilities. And the first step is knowing what a visionary is. Now, that was pretty easy to find. You know, I went online and I found the definition, went to several different sources, but all of them basically said the same. They gave these three definitions of a visionary. And the first definition was thinking about or planning the future with imagination or wisdom, such as a visionary leader. The next definition is relating to or able to see visions in a dream or trance or as a supernatural apparition as a visionary experience. And the third visionary definition says a person with original ideas about what the future will or could be like. Well, after reading these definitions, I realized that we all are visionaries. So we have this number one step covered because we've all had dreams or have dreams. We all have had desires or have desires. We're all seeking or have sought something out of this life. So we're all visionaries. But that leads me to step number two. You see, it's okay to know what a visionary is, but a visionary sees the manifestation of the vision before it comes into fruition. I'll repeat that. A visionary sees the manifestation of the vision before it comes into fruition. You know, when I was a child, a little girl in elementary, I think like third grade, fourth grade, I would recite poems in church. I learned and recited poems like The Creation, another poem called Exodus, another poem called If. But my favorite poem to this very day, I learned in third grade, and I recited it quite often in church and at programs. And it was called, back then, The Resolution of the Negro Youth. Again, The Resolution of the Negro Youth is what it was called. And it was written by Herbert Brewster. I didn't learn until much later in my life as an adult that 
there's another name, and it's called I'm Determined to Be Somebody Someday. So I'm not sure uh, where the resolution of the Negro youth came from. I just know that's what was taught to me, but it's the same poem. But I want to ex- uh, recite just two stanzas for you. The present conditions and dark circumstances may make it appear that I have not a chance. The odds may be against me, this fact I admit. I haven't much to boast of, just a little face and grit. In spite of the things that stand in my way, I'm determined to be somebody someday. Now, there's no royal blood, of course, and through my veins, no great family background for me remains. My living conditions, well, sometimes may have been bad. I may not have had a chance as others have had. But it makes no difference what folks think or say. I'm determined to be somebody someday. Now, you know, I did not understand at the time when I was reciting those words that I was actually speaking victory over my life. I was speaking determination into my life. I was speaking good things over my life while dispelling the bad things, the tough circumstances, the things people said, the taunting, the teasing, the bullying that I encountered. And I was replacing them with having a spirit of resiliency, a fight-back spirit, a not-ever-giving-up spirit even when I wanted to give out. I kept going, and I realized it was that poem. That's why it continues to stick in my mind. Once I remembered that poem as a child, I have never, ever forgotten it. And I believe it's helped me towards step three, and I hope it will help you towards your step three or that you will find something similar to help motivate you and catapult you into living your dreams. It's good to become a visionary, but do not settle for being a visionary because there are visionaries who are in their graves on this very day. They transition before they live their vision because they were always stuck in the one-day phase. One day I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to do that. Or they gave up on their dreams and their visions. They stopped believing in themselves somewhere along the way. They stopped believing in their talents and gifts. They stopped dreaming. They stopped visualizing. Along the way, something or someone convinced that person to stop dreaming. But I say to you, never stop dreaming. Never stop visualizing. Just put your dreams and vision into action. Be who you are. Live your own vision first. Stop looking back and instead look forward. Release your past mistakes by releasing the old baggage. Turn your future around by speaking good things over your life. Stop being an obstacle and be an opportunity. Stop chasing your dreams. And you might say, what? Stop chasing my dreams? Yes, Stop chasing your dreams. What do you mean by stop chasing my dreams? Well, if you're chasing your dreams, that logically means your dreams, your vision is running away from you. 
and not toward you. Stay in position. Stay ready. Be prepared to receive your blessings. Don't run. Don't run after. Don't run away. Even the Bible says if you obey obey the commandments of God, his blessings will overtake you. In other words, instead of you having to chase after your blessings, after your dreams, after your vision, they will chase you every place you go. And all you have to do in addition to believing is to keep the faith. That's number four. Keep the faith. When you're a visionary, sometimes your dream, your purpose, your goal can be brutal and tough to achieve. But I implore you to keep the faith. Be serious about whatever your passions are. First of all, identify what your passion is, what your gift is, what your talents are. And that is what you perfect. Now, you may think it would be easy to keep the faith when it's something you truly desire. But that's when it can be hard, especially when things aren't working out as quickly or as positively as you anticipated, even when it looks impossible. But a visionary will not give up. You may fall, you may falter, you may stumble, you may run, but you should never give up. Always believe in yourself. Believe that you have what it takes. Believe you are more than capable, more than acceptable. Believe you are more than enough because you know what? You are. Have faith in you. I want to share a short poem with you, uh, and it's anonymous to me. Uh, The title of it is Be True to You. It's a short poem, and I'll continue to look for the author of this poem. But it says, as you set out on life's road, unsure of the path you'll go, the most important thing you can do is to always be true to you. Always remember who you are in moments of struggle or fear. Never forget or give up on the hopes and dreams you hold dear. There will be setbacks and rejection and moments of failure too, but you must overcome any frustration to achieve the potential of you. So remember, believe you are more than enough because you know what you are. And then along the way, number five, help somebody else rise. By being good to others, by being loving toward others, by Helping someone else ride to the top, it only elevates you. It helps you and the other person. It really should go without saying that you and me, we should always seek to help others. Consider it an opportunity when you are in a position to give, to make a difference in someone else's life. Do not be afraid to bring others along with you to the top. Give, and it will be given to you. Press down, shaking together, and running over will others give to you. And I, I'm not just saying something. I believe that. I've lived that. I've watched that. Always be ready to help someone else because it is in giving that you receive. Everyone is important to God, including you. Lastly, I just want to say I ask you to remember On your visionary journey through life, 
three things. Let no one tell you what you can or cannot achieve by being you. You are more than enough. Number two, trust in your vision by living your dream. And number three, be grateful always. I would sincerely hope and love it if you would visit my website, SheilaYourRightsBooks.com or SheilaYourEbell.net and subscribe to it for literary updates and some of my other services. You can also follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Sheila E. Bell. That's Sheila E. Bell. My books are available online in digital and in paperback from your favorite online e-tellers just by visiting my website. Thank you for your support.